0: Welcome to the Unplayable Podcast, brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia. And we're a few days out from the Boxing Day test, the biggest day on the Australian cricket calendar. It might be Christmas Day when you're listening to this, it might be Christmas Eve. Either way, happy holidays. My name is Josh Onfinger. I'm joined by Louis Cameron, who's there in Melbourne, ready for the big match. And Louis, how are you going?
1: Hey, Josh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's to all our listeners uh, on the Unplayable podcast, yeah, going really well in Melbourne. I've just been watching them train at the MCG uh, three days out from the first day of Boxing Day. Um, really quite build up, uh, surprisingly. Like uh, I kind of feel like as soon as Christmas is over, Boxing Day happens, and people all of a sudden who haven't been paying attention to cricket remember that cricket exists, and they want you know they just. <laughs> They're just like, give me two or three weeks of of cricket uh, and everything kind of snaps into overdrive. But until we get to that point, it's just kind of bubbling away quite quietly. So the Australians, uh, most of the players are kind of arriving today and tomorrow. Uh, that's the 23rd. Uh, sorry, some of them actually even arrived Friday. So um, only a few days kind of lead in. Very different to Pakistan, of course, who are playing a two-day warm-up game over the Junction Oval. Um, and, yeah, saw the likes of Cameron Green, who's obviously not the team, but... Uh, Alex Carey having a hit today, uh, Mitchell Stark, Scott Boland, Mitch Marsh. Steve Smith, of course, had a long hit, but um, Manus Labuschagne, his his good mate, uh, doesn't arrive till tonight, uh, later on Saturday. So uh, expect to see him have a, a long bat. Sunday, he's probably been having a hit up in, up in Brisbane anyway, I, I dare say. so. Um, low key build up, and you know, there's not really too much to tinker with for the Aussies, is there?
0: No, there's not. Before we get into our five big questions that we want to base this episode on, uh, you're a very an astute training watcher. What did you pick up from today? Was there any talking points, or was it a pretty uh, stock standard session?
1: I don't know if I'm an astute training watcher, and I'm especially not astute when most of the batters are just facing the dog flingers. I feel like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if you know how much I, I guess they get a lot out of it, of course, but you know, how much can you read into um, you know, if someone was sneaking off against the, the dog flinger, uh, not that anyone was, Steve Smith looked in very good touch. I uh, was kind of watching him from an interesting position right behind the nets. He's, uh, we, we know that his bottom hand comes a long way around uh, on, on, on his bat, you know, compared to other really good test players. But from the behind, you could see his right thumb uh, basically is resting on the blade of the bat. That's how low... Um, and around his his bottom hand is so I, that might have always been the case, but I think just kind of watching from right behind um, in that spot that you can at the MCG, um, I just kind of noticed that. I just thought that was that was really interesting that he's basically touching the bat with his finger when he's when he's facing up. Uh, he faced Scott Boland for a little while. Scott, I don't think is going to play in this Boxing Day Test, um, but you know he was kind of getting put through his paces. And if there is a late injury, he'd be the first reserve on the fast bowling front. So. Not a whole lot to report from training. This was, of course, an optional session with people still kind of arriving in Melbourne. Uh, we'll kind of have the main session on Sunday tomorrow. Speaking of
0: injuries, Pakistan have a couple to contend with, Karam Shahzad and Norman Ali. They look like they're, I think it's been confirmed that both of their series are done. Can you give us the update on what's happening with those two guys?
1: Yeah, really sad for Karam Shahzad because I thought he was just about, I know Jamal, the other de- debutante, uh, got all the wickets. Uh, in the first innings, but I thought Kouram was really good. He was probably their best bowler. Just about, um, he's gone home with a rib, a stress fracture to his rib, which is I thought it was a typo when they, when they said that. I presumed it was a, they meant a side strain, but um, I actually asked a physio friend of mine whether that's particularly common uh, in fast bowlers, and he said it's more uh, common in rowers. You know, thinking about that kind of upper body, um, you know, use of use of your body, use of your trunk. Um, so, unusual injury for Kuram. Really sad that he's going to go home. And then on the spin front, Noman Ali, we've, we've heard, you know, just kind of out of nowhere, has had really bad appendicitis. Uh, and he's going to going to have to go home as well. Um, that sounds like a really nasty one for him. And, you know, he might have been a chance to play. Obviously, we know Abra Ahmed, um, the leg spinner, uh, has a knee injury. Um, so, it's basically their first two choice spinners, you know, are out. They're specialist spinners. Um, so that kind of robs them again. They do have Sajid Khan, who the the, um, the right arm spinner who's uh, been flown out over here. So they've got a bit of cover for for Salman, who's you know kind of in the side as a batting um, or you know the spin bowling all rounder at, at this stage. But you know it's hard to win in Australia without a, a spinner that you can at least bank on that you you know can you know maybe keep the run rate below three and over. Um, they certainly don't have that in, in Salman from what we saw in in Perth. Uh, and then they won't be able to kind of bring in unless they do go for, for Sajid. Um, you know, their, their first two choice guys are out. So, um, yeah, it's kind of becoming the the tour for hell um, from Pakistan a little bit. The way it's going, you know, fingers crossed they can kind of overcome those adversities and show some more fight and uh, at the MCG.
0: If they do bring in Sajid, uh, Pakistan will at least have a moustache to rival that of uh, Travis Head. He supports quite a curly one. So look out for that if he does get named. On a bright note, perhaps Mohammad Rizwan got 50 against Victoria in that practice game that you mentioned. He's also an option. We know what he's done in the white ball format for Pakistan and surely he gets a look in to return to the test side.
1: It baffles me that he's not in there already, Josh. Like we've, I think we spoke about it in the, the wrap-up. Uh, And even in the preview, kind of presuming that surely he's going to be in. It sounds like under this new regime with, you know, Babara's arm out as captain and uh, Hafiz, you know, kind of taking over as coach, he's kind of made Safraz his man behind behind the stumps after a a fair time out of the team. Um, But uh, Rizwan averages nearly 40 in test cricket. Um, And, you know, we've seen what he's done in, in white ball cricket. We know that doesn't always equate to success in test cricket, but... Um, you know, you, you would just think that uh, a guy with that much international experience could really make a difference. Surely he gets a look in at least as a, as a specialist batter, you know, take your pick over who he we, who we could replace. And then on the bowling front, so Mir Hamza and Hassan Ali were kind of seen as the front runners to potentially replace Kurram. Uh, my mail from uh, over the Junction Oval, we can't go in and watch that game because it's been closed to the media and, and fans. Uh, my mail on those two is that they didn't bowl particularly well. Um, and that's to take anything away from Marcus Harris, who sounds like he, he's batted really nicely to to make a good hundred against the touring Pakistanis. But um, yeah, it doesn't sound like those two bowlers in the mix to to come in. Muhammad Wazim Junior, of course, is is also an option. Uh, it Doesn't sound like the you know the main two guys really uh, pushed their case particularly well um, over at the junction. So they'll have some decisions to make um, coming you know when they when they're over at the S, at the MCG.
0: All right, we'll find out all those decisions on December 26th, no doubt Louis, let's jump in to these burning questions for the Aussie side uh, that we've put together between us and uh, i'm interested to hear your thoughts from my questions and um, well i'm sure you're vaguely interested in what i'll have to say about yours but <laughs> we'll jump in I'm to very number 1 mate, don't worry and <laughs> i think the listeners too Paul- they
1: want more josh on opinions. opinion so hot takes please <laughs>
0: Well, after, this, after such a demanding 12 months for Australia, they've had the Border Gavaskar Trophy, the World Test Championship Final, the Ashes and, of course, the ODI World Cup. The next few months don't look as exciting for the Australian side. So can they stay up there at their peak performance for these tests against Pakistan, West Indies, New Zealand and then some T20s thrown in there as well?
1: Yeah, well, I think you can separate it out. And I think, you know, the answer might lie in how you've kind of phrased the question. Like, they've got four more tests at home. They've got two more against Pakistan, two against the West Indies, and then uh, two more away in New Zealand. I reckon they're kind of looking at these seven tests, including the one they've just played in Perth. as a bit of a block, like a a seven game block of not quite home tests, because we know New Zealand's over the Dutch, but um, it's, you know, that's kind of, it's all pretty close to home for him, and it's, a, it's only a short flight away to New Zealand. So I, I think that's, you know, you've, the, the thing Andrew McDonald would be saying to these guys and phrasing it in the lead into these series is, you know, how do we approach. Something with a, a new take on things, and you know how do we you know, slightly tweak our our strategy or our mindset? Um, look, I don't think it's I don't think it's difficult. I mean, like the, they get paid very well; these guys to to play test cricket, um, and they've just still got a lot more to achieve. Um, you know, it will be interesting during that West Indies series, Josh. Like particularly if they can wrap up this Pakistan series three 0 and then we've seen that West Indies side that they've uh, the West Indies squad that they've named recently. It doesn't really you know, stand out with any. Um, with any particularly great players. Jason Holder's going to miss as well, which is, you know, a really big blow and they struggled even with Holder last season. So um, I don't think it will be an issue, but um, motivation will be an issue. But um, you never know, like, you know, things can take, uh, you know, take their toll over the course of a long summer and um, a long 12 months or so. Do you, you know, is the question leading from you, Josh? Do you kind of think that it could be?
0: Well, it's not leading from me, but I do wonder if they will take the opportunity to, you know, try out a few new things. Lance Morris has been around the squad for a bit. Is it a great opportunity to blood him? Uh, Scott Boland and Michael Nees, who we know, they've been around the squad and haven't really had a sustained go at it. And then, of course, there's um, the spot to fill for David Warner as well. So I'm sure I'd be very surprised if the same team sort of goes all the way through. I mean, injuries, of course, will come into it, but... Um, I think it's also exciting that you can maybe even refresh the side in these next seven tests.
1: Yeah, and I think there's natural attrition with the fast bowling. Like, you know, it's just um, unlikely that those three fast bowlers will be able to play all seven of those test matches. Like, it just doesn't happen very often. We saw during the World Test Championship and Ashes over there. They, I mean, they did really well to only need four fast bowlers for that stretch of, what was it, six tests in seven and a half weeks. Mm. Um, and everyone was kind of expecting at least one more to play, maybe Nisa or... Or even Shorten Abbott to be needed, so let's not tread too much over um, what we've got to come on on the fast bowling because one of uh, our questions is is centered around that. So um, I won't go too much more into that, and maybe I'll pivot towards um, something just you know a little bit more topical uh, that's been in the media a lot recently around you know the David Warner question. And oh, I've kind of come come phrase this question slightly differently. To everyone's kind of talking about Bancroft and Harris and Renshaw, but If they do see Cameron Green as the next best batter in the team, my question to you is, Josh, who's the most equipped incumbent batter to go up to open with Uzma Khawaja, uh, which would then allow Cameron Green to bat in the middle order?
0: Mm, Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, I'm sure they're very eager to get Green back into that side. And it's easy to forget that Travis Head did such a good job in India. uh, Only, what was that, nine months ago now, uh, Two-and-a-half tests, he opened four five innings and he averaged 55 over those mm. five. And maybe Ahmedabad aside, they were incredibly difficult conditions. Um, so if you can do it over there in India, maybe um, he could do it here as well. But then again, yeah, look on the flip side and his middle-order record in Australia and other parts of the world is so strong as well, especially over the last couple of years. So do you move him out of a such a strength Um yeah, the other one that I was thinking is, well, could you put Cameron Green straight up to open? His technique would possibly say that you could. Um, he has a lot of patience, we know. He's, not pre- he's prepared to dig in and see off a lot of dot balls. Uh, I just can't see them going for Manus or Smith at the top. And we, Although Alex Carey did uh, have to jump up there and open on Test debut
1: a few years ago, I, I'd be very surprised if that was the case too. Yeah, me too. And, look, I I tend to look at it slightly differently, Um, not in terms of Alex Carey. I think he's staying at at seven. But I I reckon you'd really be robbing a strength of this team with Marsh and Head at five and six. They're two real game changers who are really succeeding in test cricket at the moment, especially Travis Head over a longer period of time. I don't want to change that if I'm them. I'm trying to get as much out of Mitch Marsh as I can at six. And, and same with Travis Head. I don't think Marsh, he's kind of been talked about a little bit as you know, being the last one in. Maybe he's the one to, to go up. I just think you know, New Zealand's fast bowlers on pitches that nip a little bit, especially with new ball, they'd be licking their lips if Mitch Marsh is coming out to open the batting. And I think he's admitted as much. Um, doing it in white ball cricket is uh, really different to test cricket. I think his mm. quote was the other day was that I'm not an opener. Um, and that was after he batted, batted really well the other the other day in, in Perth. So uh, for me, I actually think Marnus would be the one. Um, you know, maybe that okay, could really? be Smith. But yeah, I mean, he's already kind of doing it. I mean, three is, um, you know, you're close to being an opener anyway, right? Like you often come in in the first over of the game if, um, if that kind of thing, if a wicket falls early. And he has done it in first-class cricket when he kind of first came into the Queensland team. He was opening for them. And I just think that... You know, if, if he was knocking, if he was batting as well as he was in the early part of his career and averaging um, over sixty, you'd say, well, that's working really well. Um, he's just come back to the pack a little bit. He hasn't he hasn't been bad. He, he hasn't been um, done anything to suggest he doesn't warrant a spot in the team. But I also don't think he can, you know, go to the selectors and say, hey, I've dominated this number three position. Um, you need to keep me in in that spot. Uh, I think, you know, he's probably opened the door a little bit. So. I think Kawadra and Labuschagne could work quite well. It would then just be whether Green could, whether he goes straight to three or you know Smith goes to three and Green comes in at uh, four or five. I, I love Green's bowling and want to protect that at all costs. Um, and I tend to think if he's a bit further down, you can maybe bowl him 10, 15 overs and in innings and not have to worry about his body so much.
0: It's been a long time since Steve Smith has batted number three in Test cricket, isn't it? So I just wonder if he would be apprehensive to jump straight back up to number three, uh, the spot that he loves so much in one-day cricket. But would he just be happy to stay at number four?
1: Well, he has done it a bit in India, right? Like I think he, the thinking was to get him um, and the subcontinent. I think he might have – did he go there in the Sri Lanka? tour? He might have stayed at four with Manus Mm. and the team. But he has done it in India before and the thinking was that um, you want to get him against in against the new ball earlier because there's so much spin and that kind of thing being bowled. So um, I, I think he could adjust to it. Whether he'd want to do it is, is another thing, but um, sometimes you just got to do what's best for the team.
0: If you had to pick one of Bancroft, Renshaw or Harris, who's uh, the top pick at the
1: minute? It's tough. It's really tough. Bancroft almost, if you're just picking the best performed domestic guy, that's the person you'd go with. I tend to think that Marcus Harris might be the one they'd earmarked because you know he mm. didn't do a whole heap wrong when he lost his spot uh, during the Ashes in twenty one twenty two. He batted really beautifully over at the MCG on a on a green wicket during that series, and then you know Kuhadia coming back obviously um, meant that he got squeezed out. Um, I tend to think he was the one they really wanted. They were grooming for the role. Um, I think that's that might be the way they go if if they do think that. Um, Uh, they need a specialist opener.
0: Yeah, Cameron Bancroft is the leading run scorer in the Sheffield Shield so far this season with 512 runs. So it certainly backs up your stat there. Um, Let's go to more run scoring. Alex Carey, he's the current incumbent wicketkeeper in the test side. And this time last year in the Boxing Day test, he scored his maiden test century. What a fantastic innings that was. But does he need some runs at this point in
1: time, Lou? There's two parts to that. Um, so first of all, the slightly more negative part, and crunching the numbers on his batting. Uh, so that innings against uh, South Africa and Boxing Day, he's made in Test hundred. We kind of thought that'd be a breakthrough moment and um, open the floodgates for him a little bit. Obviously, he's had some really challenging conditions to bat in uh, in India and even England. You know, maybe coming in lower down the order, he's made 404 runs at 23.76 since that century. So that's probably below where they'd. Um, Like him to be, I think he's still near the, you know, averaging near the thirty mark for his career, which is, you know, quite high for a wicketkeeper. You know, historically, if you, if you look at it that way, the other part to this is I think his keeping has been fantastic through 2023 in particular. Like the way he kept uh, during that Test series in India was fantastic. That's the hardest place to to wicket keep in the world. Um, and, you know, during that, that England series, he also had, you know, had a couple of great stumpings off Nathan Lyon and did a really good job standing back to the stumps. There was one drop of Harry Brooke at the Oval, which, um, you know, could have been really crucial if Australia, um, you know, thought they might be able to win that game. That one aside, I think he's had an excellent 12 months with the gloves, and that's the most important thing. However, you've got Josh Inglis, who's a really, really good player. We, we saw it at times during the World Cup. Um, you know, he's just a, such a dynamic player and he has four first-class 100s. So, yeah, are you suggesting that, you know, selectors might be tempted you now that Inglis is, you know, he's in the T20 side, he's in the, the ODI team, that they might be looking to, to get him in the test stuff too? Uh,
0: no, certainly not suggesting that, Lou. Big fan of Alex Carey myself and I feel like, yeah, his glove work is probably just ahead of Inglis at this stage, which I'm sure the selectors would take into consideration just as much
1: as the run scoring. Hmm. And subjective, isn't it? Like it's kind of hard for us to know. You know, we're not wiki keeping experts. We, can, I guess, we can speak to people who are and, and get a judgment from them. But, um, and you know, it's often the ones that you know maybe, um, you know, little little technical things that that you know we wouldn't notice. But yeah, for me, Kerry's done a done a brilliant job. Um, I, I, from all reports, Inglis is is really good behind the stumps too. So, um, it'd be good to you know ask someone who has seen a lot of them. You know both of them keeping. Who really knows about wiki keeping to ask who's better?
0: All right, we might have to tee up a former wiki keeping great on the podcast or something, Lou, and we can really flesh it out.
1: Yep, not a bad idea. Now with Australia's home dominance, Josh, uh, it got me thinking about just how many tests Australia win at home and how hard they are to beat. Uh, and my question, you know, we should we should say that uh, India haven't found it all that hard to beat Australia? They, you know, they did it in 2021. Uh, and they did in 1819 against the Smith and Warnerless team then. So, apart from India, uh, will another non India team ever beat Australia at home again?
0: Uh, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a fair while before we see that. South Africa have had a great record in the past in Australia in the last sort of decade and a bit, but. They have gone downhill a bit, so we can probably put a line through them for the time being. England, they're going to obviously rate their chances when they arrive here because we know that they're not short on confidence at all, and they've brought a very new style of gameplay. So that's two seasons away. Um, And then, of course, we've got India next season, uh, next summer for uh, the Aussie summer, and they're looking for three in a row, as you mentioned. So I'm going to say it's going to be... It's going to be a long, long time before we see a non-India
1: side win in Australia, but that's not to say that they couldn't do it again next summer. And you just hope that you know a team, you know, maybe like it, maybe it is a Pakistan because they, um, you know, have an enormous cricket mad population, uh, or even like a Bangladesh, like a team like that who has so much potential for growth. Maybe they could, you know, challenge India and Australia, and England a bit for for that kind of supremacy of of world cricket and start winning test matches away consistently. That's kind of the the mark of a great test team. Just the, the stat that I was looking at before, uh, of Australia's last 27 tests at home, not against India, uh, they've won 24 and drawn the other three. And that's going back to the, the wow. Hobart defeat in 2016-17, which is, what's that, about eight years ago now. So a fair while ago, um, you know, during that period, Australia have just been really hard to beat.
0: All that being said, though, I reckon that if we just rewind to the last test match in Perth, I'm not saying that Pakistan would have won, but if Pakistan won the toss and were able to bat first, I feel like it would have been a lot closer a contest. I feel like the 360 runs maybe flattered Australia a tiny bit.
1: Yeah, and it can be little moments or you know fine margins or a toss result that can decide those types of things, but I just feel like especially the bowling attack, like, you know, yeah, at times there have been holes in in the batting and, you know, questions over certain positions. But, um, you know, since Cummins kind of came back from injury at the start of that 17, 18 Ashes, uh, and he's been able to get a good run at Test cricket at home with, you know, forming that kind of deadly foursome with Lyon, Hazelwood and Stark, like that bowling attack just doesn't lose too many games at home. And when you have them, um, you know, relentlessly at positions, they're just such a difficult prospect to beat.
0: That's a perfect segue, Louis, into my next question. On the bowling front, uh, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, they are absolutely irrepressible with the ball. Does it mean it's going to be another frustrating summer for the fan favourites, Scott Boland, Michael Nisa, and to a lesser degree, Sean Abbott, who's been on the cusp for a long time?
1: I tend to think that, as we were kind of mentioning before, like natural attrition just will take hold and... One of Stark Cummins, uh, Hazelwood, will miss at least one test. It's kind of happened the last few summers where those guys have been reasonably durable. Maybe Hazelwood aside, he's missed quite a a bit of cricket over the journey. Um, but you know, one of them misses, and, and then your you bowlers and your Nieces and even your Dry Richardson's get their chance. And you know, when you kind of look at the the long game here, um, Josh Hazlewood turns 33 in January. Mitchell Stark turns 34 in January. Um, that's they're no spring chickens, and the end can not suggesting anything that it, it, there's any sign of decline at all with those two. But the end can come really quickly for fast bowlers, like physical issues. Um, can occur and these guys have a lot of miles in the legs. Um, You just never know when, you know, uh, an injury or just a slight um, drop in pace can just reduce your effectiveness and if I'm Jai Richardson, I'm doing everything I can to get my body right because I reckon he's the one that they really, really... Um, think about as a long-term leader of, of the attack, possibly. Um, Lance Morris has, you know, got, got to prove that he can do it at Test level. Obviously, hasn't had the opportunity. Uh, Scott Boland, we know can, but he's a little bit uh, older now as well. Like I think he's turning thirty-five in twenty twenty-four. So um, some question marks to come would just kind of not there yet. Like those three fast bowlers are, are just fantastic, and um, you know, from the spin bowling front. Uh, Nathan Lyon, you know, as long as he can stay on the park, um, no signs of a drop-off there. So there might be a slightly longer wait for for Todd Murphy. But, um, yeah, if you're, if you're one of those next in line fast bowlers, I reckon you'd, you'd think, you know, it just could, could happen at any point where a, a long-term spot opens up.
0: And on the fast bowling front, this is probably more your domain, who is next in? Does it depend who is out?
1: Yeah, well, I think Boland's the one who comes in for Cummins or Hazelwood as a like-for-like, like, you know, um, not absolutely express pace but, um, you know, can can bash away and bowl 40 overs a game of 40-over um, tests, I should say, of, of really high-quality stuff. If Stark was to go out, you know, whether they might look at the, an attack of Boland, Cummins and Hayeswood as being too samey-samey, um, I'm not entirely sure whether they would look at. Uh, Lance Morris is is more of a like for like backup for Stark as a guy who can bowl that extra bit of wheels. Um, I, I still reckon Richardson's a one. Like I'm, uh, like I know that they're keeping tabs on him and I know that they really rate him. And whenever he gets a good run at first class cricket, uh, his numbers are, are elite. So um, I'd be keeping a really close eye on him if he can string some games together.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed for Jay. He's been back in the big bash over the last couple of nights, so good to see. Let's hope all that continues. Now, Louis, just before we sign off. On this particular episode, we do have some uh, very nice feedback from Dom, who I got in touch via the link in the description of the episode. He said, uh, can't wait to settle in for the rest of the summer, lads. Cheers from a cricket tragic in sunny Melbourne. So if you've got any nice words to say about Louie or Jack or myself, feel free to jump down there and uh, throw them in, even if it's a bit of constructive
1: criticism. Uh, We're all ears here on the Unplayable Podcast. Really nice words from uh, from Josh's mum. Uh, I mean Dom, uh, whoever that is in, in Melbourne. Um, really, really good to hear the feedback.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, mum. <laughs> uh, nice one. Okay, thanks, Lou. This has been the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Qantas, the spirit of Australia, and we'll catch you all after the Boxing Day test.